Amen. That's amazing. We're going to have communion this morning, and uh, Allie's just going to play through that um, as we as we get prepared for that. If we could have um, Allie come up, and then our ushers start passing out the communion. that represents the blood of Christ and that little wafer that represents his body, I want you to know that you're a success because of what is symbolic in this cup. And everything that we know, every good, I pray this too with our children, is I love the verse that says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And this is a perfect gift that he gave to us. And we celebrate this. of you and we remember you and the ultimate price and the sacrifice that you made for each and every one of us. Our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins are covered through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our healing is through the cross. The condemnation that we felt before is no longer because of the cross. The guilt that we felt before is no longer because of the cross. The sickness that we felt before is no longer because of the cross. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.
Fantastic. You can keep playing if you want. <laughs> she can her practice, right, Sandra? Come on. No, I'm kidding. You know, it's all good. Yeah. Allie, that was beautiful. Amen. As Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he was referencing his, his death to come. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So we take this in remembrance of him. And he said, this is my blood, which will be poured out for you. It's amazing. God took care of everything for us, folks. Everything in our life, every, every situation, he took care of it all. Shall we take the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus? Amen. If we wanted to have the um, kiddos go downstairs, they've got uh, review week. It's going to be really cool. And Miss Ann's got some great things for you. I love your Bibles, kiddos. Look at all the Bibles, guys. Isn't that great? Way to go. Give it up for the kiddos and their Bibles. What a neat thing. First Chronicles chapter 28, starting with verse 9. We've been dealing with the story of David, David becoming king, David's fall, his first son dying as a result of that. And then we have Solomon coming on the throne, asking for wisdom and favor, and God gave him success. And now he gets to work on building the temple of God. David wanted to build this, build this temple. He longed to do it. But David was a man of war, and God said it wasn't for him, that it would be for his son, uh, uh, son Solomon. So we're going to dive into that now. And uh, our, our sermon title today is Take Courage and Get to Work. Amen? Amen? Take Courage and Get to Work. Because every one of us in our lives today are building on something. We're working on this, we're working on that, it, it might be at work, it might be at home. We're working on something, and that God is calling us to it. But God is building up our spiritual houses today, and it's important for us to keep working until the very last breath that we breathe here on planet Earth. Our lives should bring honor and glory to God. First Chronicles chapter 28, starting in verse 9. And Solomon, my son, learned to know the God of your ancestors intimately, worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Isn't that amazing? The responsibility was in Solomon's court to build a building for the Lord. Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings, including the entry room, the storerooms, the upstairs rooms, the inner rooms, the inner sanctuary, which was the place of atonement. David also gave Solomon all the plans he had in mind for the courtyards of the Lord's temple, the outside rooms, the treasuries, the rooms for the gifts dedicated to the Lord. The king also gave Solomon the instructions concerning the work of the various divisions of priests and Levites in the temple of the Lord. And he gave specifications 
for the items in the temple that were to be used for worship. David gave instructions regarding how much gold and silver should be used to make the items needed for service. He told Solomon the amount of gold needed for the gold lampstands and the lamps, and the amounts of silver and silver lampstands and lamps, depending on how each would be used. He designated the amount of gold for the table on which the bread of the presence would be placed and the amount of silver for other tables. David also designated the amount of gold for the solid gold meat hooks used to handle the sacrificial meat and for the basins and pitchers and dishes, as well as the amount of silver for every dish. He designated the amount of refined gold for the altar of the incense. Finally, he gave him a plan for the Lord's chariot, the gold cherubim, whose wings were stretched out over the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. Every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Then David continued, be strong and courageous and do the work. Did you, didn't we hear that in, in Joshua? Isn't it amazing? This kind of sounds like that, the story of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid and discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. The various divisions of the priests, the Levites, will serve in the temple of God. Others with skills of every kind will volunteer, and the officials in the entire nation are at your command. And it goes on from there in the building of the temple that David had, had all these things that his affections, the Bible says, that David's affections were towards the house of the Lord. Folks, I want us not to be indifferent towards the presence of God and indifferent towards the things of God. I want our affections to be towards him. You know, when you're affectionate with someone, you're, you're, you love that person, you want to be involved with that person, you think about that gift. I, my mom, it was funny, my mom and dad gave me a gift even last Christmas and I knew that it was done out of affection, and, and, and it was special, and it was a golden pitcher. No, I'm just kidding. It was not golden. No. My sister's like, what? No. <laughs> so it was a little coffee thing, a French press, and I still use it to this day. And I took a picture of it real quick, and I said, Christmas all year round. Thanks again, Mom. Her affection, Mom and Dad's affection was for that gift. David's affection was to the house of God and to the things of God. In fact, the very plans he says to Solomon were given and designated by God to do this. It was very special in the things of God. But he says over and over again, take courage. Do not fear. What do you think Solomon might have been afraid of? I would have been afraid of doing it wrong. That would have been my first thing. What if I get this wrong? What if I mess up? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many have felt those things? What if I get this wrong, and what if I mess up? Oh, yeah. What if I fail? What does a well-built temple... And now looking at the New Testament, Jesus says there'll come a time and place, he was talking to the woman at the well, where we won't go to this building or that building or this mountain or that to go to the presence of God. The very presence of God will be within you, and it will spring up a well inside of us. So every one of us has that temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, turn real quick uh, forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. A well-built temple you guys are today. You didn't know that, did you? You're well-built. You are fearfully, you are wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God, spirit, soul, and body. You were formed in your mother's womb, and God knew every little hair. He knows the very hairs on your head. Isn't it neat? 
That's pretty cool. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 and 17. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Um, if, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by the world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God, as the scripture says. He traps the wise in their snare and their own cleverness. It's amazing how God says this, that we are holy. How are you holy today, by the way? Were you holy today because you obeyed all the laws? How many broke some laws today out when they were driving? <laughs> now, maybe not today, maybe last week. You lawbreaker, you? You're not reconciled and made holy because you did a bunch of good things this week, right? You're not good because of your good works. Now you might do good works as a result of God's good work in you, but that's the byproduct. Galatians 2.16, don't turn there. But it says, someone is reckoned as upright, not by practicing the law, but by what? Faith in Christ. Was the man dying on the cross any less holy than John? Or Moses? Was the man who said, God, will you remember me? This thief on the cross next to Christ? Was he reckoned to God because of good works or because of Jesus Christ? Was he considered in that moment holy, or was he half-holy? And today, we still deal with this. And Paul said over and over again, you, you started out good. You started out understanding that this gift, this grace was a gift, and that it was given to you because you placed your faith in Christ not in all these laws and all these ceremonies and all these things. And now you want to mingle the two. Now you want to have a little bit of that, but you want to have some of man's religion and some of the old law stuff. You are not made holy by the law. You are not made the temple of God because you did some right stuff this week. But what happens... As we develop the fruit and the understanding that it isn't contingent on Steve Lapp getting it all right this week. Isn't that a relief? Can you imagine if the blessing of God was just contingent on you doing everything right? That's really taxing. Really taxing. It's impossible. It's something that you and I try to do, we try to grapple with, and when the more we grapple with grace, the more understanding it is that it is not us reaching for God, it is God reaching for us. It's the gift of God, and it's His grace. And so you say, well, that is the most important part when we understand that we are the temple of God, and that God is building in us and doing His good work. Do you know this is the other promise, dear one, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today? That God will finish and that he will accomplish the work in his son or daughter today. That's amazing. And that's a promise you can hold on to for your children. If your children are going through a rough spot right now, 
See, they're going through a rough spot. Turn somebody's face. They're going through a rough spot. But God's going to complete it. The truest test of our faith. I love what Brendan Manning writes. The way we are with each other is the truest test of our faith. How I treat a brother or sister from day to day. How I react to the sin-scarred wino on the streets. How I respond to interruptions from people I dislike. How I deal with normal people in their normal confusion on a normal day may be a better indication of my reverence for life than the anti-abortion sticker on the bumper of my car. Can I get an amen there? See, we can have it all right according to the law. You can have it all put together. You can list all the things you think you did in order to deserve the goodness of God in your life. But you didn't do anything good. Not according to God's standards. We have failed miserably. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Our best step forward is at best weak. Spiritual progress. As we're building this temple, we better start seeing some progress. Can I get an amen there? But let's look at progress and let's really identify what progress is. Turn real quick to 1 John. We're going to do a lot of references to Scripture today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. 1 John's towards the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I love how he writes this because really what this is titled all about is um, spiritual progress for our lives. And he doesn't qualify people by their age. Young person today, I want to tell you today, no matter what your age is, God wants to use you in your life. Don't, don't let someone define you by your age. Don't let someone define you. And the church will do this. All the cute kids over there, we'll let them do their thing. No, as we build and grow up together in the house of God, I remember when God started speaking to me, even when I was 12 years old, I started noticing the things of God in my life, even my friends. Folks, don't think for a moment that God doesn't want to use you. And I love what he does here as he breaks down categorically. He doesn't address people by their age. He addresses them by their spiritual level. I am writing you who are God's children because your sins are forgiven through, through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. Young people fight with the evil one. Get in fights with him. <laughs> You're in a fight, young person, whether you know it or not. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong and God's word lives in your heart. And you have won your battle with the evil one. Isn't it interesting how we start to build this temple up? One of the things that he highlights there, even for the young person, is that the word of God is in your heart and you've won your battle with the evil one. I think the enemy's goal in life is to completely take out all the young people in this nation. 
And I think he wants to take them out with all sorts of sin and temptation out there. And I want to tell you, young person, if you can grab onto the Word of God, I know there's cool things out there for you to do, young person. I know there's fun stuff for you to do out there. But if you can just take a few moments of your day, grab a youth devotional, do something. You know, we have these neat things back there, and there are youth devotionals back there. Plug into something. If you need a youth devotional, grab that. Start reading. I know there's cool stuff out there. We have all sorts of media outlets and fun stuff. But man, if you could say today that the Word of God lives in your heart, you will last through this lifetime and you will win. Turn to someone and say, you're going to win. What keeps us from building? Keeps me from building. Keeps all of us from building. What if? The if question. Anybody ever asked that when you started building and doing something? Now the Bible says this, that you know what, you better count the cost before you start building, right? There's a difference between counting costs and start, start creating barriers between you doing. Counting the cost doesn't set up barriers. Counting the cost just says, okay, these are the things that I'm going to have to do in order to get over there. It's a big difference. But the if person says, well, what if we fail? What if this happens? What if that happens? And we start to have barrier after barrier. So they get bigger and larger. I love it what, what Brendan Manning goes on to write. Look at the many if questions we raise. What am I going to do if I don't find a spouse? A house, a job, a friend, a benefactor? What am I going to do if they fire me? If I get sick, if an accident happens, if I lose my friends, if my marriage doesn't work out, if the war breaks out, what if tomorrow the weather's bad? I don't say that at work. The buses are on strike or the earthquake happens. What if someone steals my money, breaks into my house, rapes my daughter, or kills me? Once these questions guide our lives, we take out a second mortgage in the house of fear. Let me ask you this today. Do you have any what-ifs right now going on in your head? You got any what-ifs? And it's preventing you from continually building. David had something in his life that happened that prevented him from, quote, building, but it didn't stop David from still being engaged in the process. David put aside stuff. He dreamed about it. God gave him the very vision and plan for building this building that Solomon was going to build. He said, Solomon, here's how you build it. And it's interesting how David didn't even stop the ifs. David could have stopped 40 chapters ago and said, you know what? God's not going to use me anymore because I failed miserably. And many of us have said that. God's not going to use me anymore. God can't continually build in my life because I messed up over here. God can't do this or, or what if this war happens or what if that takes place. Jim Simbola writes this, Some people will do anything to avoid taking risks. But God knows what he's doing and when we take the risk to follow him, he will meet all of our needs. If we need financial resources, he will supply them. If we need strength and endurance, he will fortify us. If we need wisdom... He has promised to give it to us. He goes on to write, Home is not a heavenly mansion in the afterlife, but a safe place right in the midst of our anxious world. 
Isn't that interesting? Now, again, I'm not knocking heaven. we got heaven as our home. That's a great future. But how many right now live in an anxious world and you need home and you need peace and you need a presence of God in your life right now while you walk through life? Jesus gives us this promise that that home, not out in the sweet by and by, but right now. He gives us that promise. When Jesus left... He gave a promise to his disciples, and he says, you know what? It's better that if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit for you, and look what happened to them. Their ministries blew up. Their life blew up. They started to see things greater than even what Jesus Christ himself did. They did more of it. Jesus multiplied what they did in the miracles that happened. Home is not your heavenly mansion in the afterlife. Someday I'm going to have my beautiful mansion. But for now, I'm just called to suffer and just get through this mega life. You're causing me to be really sleepy. We're all looking for safe places right now, aren't we? We're all looking for safe places. Jim Simbler goes on to write, nothing is worse in life than huddling in a safe place that God has never ordained for us. See, we have safe places that we found that are altered to the presence of God. Because you can't have fear and the presence of God coexist together. Do you know that? Do you know you can't live in fear and have things take over your life and control of you and still be guided by the presence of God. I've shared this with you before, but gosh, it was a couple of years ago. There was just a fear that came over me, a fear of death. Anybody been there before? You just, you're afraid. Some of you actually face death in here in this place. So you know what I'm talking about. But I actually had imaginations going on in my mind about this and that and worried about this and worried about that. You can't have peace that passes understanding and still be consumed by all that stuff. You can't enjoy the home and the presence of God and the peace of God when you're continually living with those kinds of anxiety in your life and the what-ifs. Turn to someone and say, stop asking what-ifs. Because as far as I know right here, all of us are breathing, right? We're all breathing. Raise your hand if you're breathing. We all got to church good. We're still alive on planet Earth. And it's okay. We're looking for safe places, aren't we? When God builds in our lives, sometimes it's not so safe according to our standards. And in my life personally, God is stripping some things and creature comforts in my life that I used to take for granted Status quos. And do you know as he started to strip some of these things away, these things of knowing, do you know how you can kind of just know how things are and then all of a sudden God pulls that rug out and now you're in a place where you're not knowing a whole lot. Now what God has done is pull that rug out, if you will, in situations, and now isn't it interesting, I start to grab onto Scripture a little harder. And God will use those times of building and changing and rearranging for us to grab onto God and hold onto Him tighter. When you start to get faced with what ifs, God, what if this fails? What if this doesn't work out? God, what if something happens here? What if something happens there? You will not be able to sleep at night going over all the what ifs in your life. 
You must get back to building. Turn to someone going, nod him, and say, get back to building, please. John 14, 23, you don't have to turn there. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And here's what he promises, folks. He will come to him and make our home with him. Your heart is his home today. Isn't that amazing? He resides in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He comes and he doesn't say, yes, I'm preparing a place for you, but he also has a place for you right here, right now on planet Earth. Blessings after blessings, opportunities after opportunities, things that you never dreamed possible, not in the afterlife, but right here. What are you spending your energy on right now, by the way? Man, i, I got to tell you that I go to a lot of houses. I see a lot of houses. Man, I was at a house the other day where I walked in there, and it was one of those moments where I'm like, this is a really good opportunity for me to start coveting right now. <laughs> God, if there is any place that I should be able to covet, it's this house. I mean, everything in that house was perfect, exactly how I'd want a house and the layout. And you walk in there and you're like, oh my gosh, I'll never forget the sprinkler guy coming over. He was spraying out the sprinkler. He goes, what does this guy do? And I'm like, his patio is worth more than my house. And I go, tell me about it. I mean, we're having a conference about this guy's patio. It's amazing what ends up happening. But I see these people in their homes. And you know what I see? I see a lot of sitting. I see a lot of people doing nothing. Now some people need to not be doing anything because then they hurt themselves. I'm not talking about that category of people. But I'm talking about a lot of people wasting time. A lot of people just doing nothing. And I want to encourage you today that you can put your hands to things. Jesus said... Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? So even Jesus at a young age had things that were in his heart, things that he was really energized about, and that he wanted to go after. But I challenge you today, if, you're, if you don't have much you're doing, come to me, I'll give you stuff to do. <laughs> if you don't have things that are getting you excited, I'll give you things and you can start to get excited. Trust me. Now, we're all busy. I'm not saying that. Everyone's busy. That's not what I mean. You know what I mean. But there's a lot of people just sitting around watching TV all the time. We don't have time for that. We must become productive again. And one thing I know for sure, and this is why David said, have courage and don't fear. He was speaking into him saying, Solomon, you keep moving. You keep going after these things. You'll have, you'll have holdups. You'll have guys that will show up to work and they might hurt themselves. They, you have guys that go to work that might do this. You know, all this kind of stuff might happen. You keep working. Turn to somewhere and say, you keep working. John Piper writes, if you devote yourself to sowing and eating and drinking and clothing yourself and earning wages, but neglect your ministry in the body of Christ, you will live in constant frustration. You might be frustrated right now, but if everything you're doing is for yourself, you're going to live in constant frustration. 
Because everything you're doing revolves around you. Everything you're involved with, you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about your problem. You're thinking about this, and you're sowing and reaping and doing everything for you. And Solomon was building something for God. It's a big difference. Big difference. And that's why the Bible declares everything you do, do as unto the Lord. So when you sow, don't sow blessings and rewards for yourself and and the the expectation for yourself. Forget about yourself for a moment. Please, for this whole week coming, say, I refuse to think about myself. I'm going to be mindful of the people around me because I am building for the things of God and the future of my life. God is coming to you and he's making his home in you, in your place. You make space for the presence of God where you're at right now. Because there can't be room for you in God. You know that? I must decrease. He must increase. And we've thought about our problems and thought about our situations and our what-ifs. And we bundle them all up and they still keep getting bigger and they keep getting greater and they do all sorts of things to you. But I'm going to tell you that God will provide for you. Young person, as you devote yourself to the word of God and you take seriously the things of God for your life, young person, you'll do great things and you'll build great things. Person who is mature in Christ, Paul said, I'm energized because you know this God. You know he is faithful. You know what's going on in your life because of the things of God for you. Every pleasure will leave its sour aftertaste of depression and guilt and frustration. Isn't it so true, though? You know, we go on big vacations or you go on a big thing and you get done with that big vacation, you get back into life, and it's like the vacation never even happened. You go back from your vacation and you're like, I want to rest from that thing because that was a lot of work. And so we're, we're not even happier. We're not even energized by it. We're actually more tired by it. So often we choose to focus on ourselves and lose out on the building process Folks, truly jump back into ministry and building people up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Jump back into people. You know, there's something, this isn't something to give me a pat on the back for, but I haven't done this all the time, so it isn't everywhere. But I walked into this place, I was doing the windows at a store, and I overheard the owner of the shop talking to this lady about stuff going on in the business and, you know, stuff happening and... I kind of heard that, and I, I immediately had a burden for How many had a burden for someone at work or whatever, and you just felt energized to pray for them or to just do something for them? That's led of the Spirit. Don't sit there and go, God, is this your will? That's a good thing. Go do it. Don't stunt your growth. Just run into it. So, man, as I'm getting more and more mature in the Lord and building up the most holy faith that God's given to me, I've learned to question less and just go do it. This lady, I'm like, you know what? I said, hey, what's going on? I kind of interjected, and she's like, yeah. And she goes, my husband works for ComEd, just had back surgery. So you can imagine, he's, he's in bad shape. I said, you know what? Do you mind if I pray with you real quick? So right there at the entrance, I just prayed over her, and in Jesus' name, provide healing for her husband, do a work in his life, and God, thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. It was 35 seconds. And I think about 
the moments in our life when we start to get back into ministry and building people up. Man, I had a squeegee belt on and a pole in my hand, and we still prayed and went into the throne room of grace. You can go to the throne room of grace whenever you want to. Boldly go in. Take people with you. Say, you're coming with me. Never even heard of this. I never go to this. This has nothing to do with church. This has nothing to do with nothing. We're going to go meet Jesus together. Charles Spurgeon writes this. You say, man, I can't do much ministry right now. I'm in this, in this place or whatever. I'm not jamming ministry down your throat. I want you to understand, wherever you are, you can serve God and it's beautiful. You may be a domestic servant, he writes, and may never be able to give a pound to church work, but you are Jesus' friend if you do whatever he commands you. You may be a housewife and may not be able to do anything outside the little family that requires all of your attention, but if you're fulfilling your duty to your children and doing what Christ commands you, you are among friends of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be only a plain working man or a tradesman with a small shop. You may not be well known, but if you set an example of honesty and uprightness and piety, doing all these things as if you were doing them for Christ because He saved you, He will call you His friend. This is the work of God. This is what He's called us to. And we should be energized at the opportunity to serve God in any capacity that we see us. But many of us, it's hard. Because when God's going into the building process, we get back on ourselves. And Kyle Eileman writes, each day is a narrow gate, isn't it? The problem with dying to myself is that it's so daily. <laughs> I have to make the choice over and over again. I can live for myself or I can live for Christ. Which means picking up my cross at the drugstore, at the gas pump, in my living room and in traffic. Not only must I serve the people I love and admire, and those who can make life easier, but dying to myself also means serving those I really don't like or understand, and even those who have hurt me. Can I get an amen? amen? How can you serve a husband who's apathetic rather than loving? A wife who never speaks an encouraging word? A child bent on rebellion? How do you serve a co-worker who, who talked behind your back? A rude guy across the street, the driver who takes your life into his hands on the highway. It takes dying to yourself. If Jesus can wash the feet of Judas, then it's time for me to come to the end of myself and follow his example. You cannot build today. We have the what ifs. You can't build today if you're holding grudges in your life either. Because that person that has hurt you or done things to you continually keeps in focus and in the view and you can't go building because you're so focused on dealing with that problem. And if you've got those kind of problems today, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to have to forgive that person in Jesus' name. You're going to have to speak it. You're going to have to say it. You're going to have to call that person out and say, God, I give this person to you. And you might have to do it every day of the week when you wake up and your feet hit the floor. But you give it to God and allow God to take care of the situation. You cannot build my holding grudges. These grudges slow down any progress you have had happened. The other big thing that keeps us from building is discouragement. Anybody been discouraged in this house today? Maybe you've tried building and you've come up short. Do not fear or be dismayed. Dismayed in the Hebrew means this. It means shattered or broken. And every one of us has shattered or broken dreams. Every one of us has pasts. Every one of us has situations that we felt have failed. Martin Luther writes this, that you despair yourself and doubt your own power does not displease me, 
But this displeases me, that you also despair of the power of God. See, discouragement, you can be discouraged about yourself. You can be frustrated with yourself. Man, I really blew it. That's okay. But when you come into the house of God and you bring the things of God to Him, don't allow that discouragement in yourself to attach to the Spirit of Christ and His power to overcome every shattered and broken dream in your life. You must and I must rely on the power of God for everything going on in our life. God's power is not just displayed in the good things. God's power is also displayed in the really broken, shattered, nasty things. So what you can bring to the situation when you're discouraged, you put your hope in God and you say, God, you've done these miracles before in this situation. Now I am trusting you to come through in this one. Can I get an agreement with you to do that now? Don't be, don't be discouraged of the power of God. Don't, don't wave God's power off and say, well, it was for then, but it's not for now because this problem is too great. Your shattered dream is a great opportunity for God to start working and piecing those things back together. When we're charged to build, we can question our own abilities, but we must trust and rely upon the power of God. How was Solomon going to build this beautiful temple? Could he do it all on his own? There needed to be people in his life, really good people, expert people, uh, people that knew exactly how to work with gold and stone and all these kinds of things. And here's what starts to happen, and this is why we need to be part and tied into the house of God. Because there are people in this place that will surround you in your situation and help build you up and say, you know what, we're not going to leave you behind in that situation. It's a beautiful thing. That's really loud. <laughs> Today, our Father is always ready and willing and more than able to guide us through life situations. Turn real quick to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42.16 I will lead the blind Israel down a new path guiding them along the unfamiliar way. I will brighten the darkness before them and smooth out the road ahead of them. Yes, I will indeed do these things. I will not forsake them. But those who trust an idol who say you are our gods will be turned away to shame. Be ready for spiritual promptings by the way. David was prompted by God. God was given him the instructions on building the temple. God, David was given plans to build the temple by the Holy Spirit's prompting. When you build, by the way, in your life, make sure you consult God. There's been so many times when I go into things and in dealing with life and business where I just assume everything is just how it's supposed to be and I never take a moment to pause and say, God, do you want me to do this? Paul, when he was going on his missionary journeys had plans of attack, and he would go to this area, and all of a sudden God completed through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, moved him to a different place. That didn't mean the first plan wasn't good, it just means that God had a completely different thing for him. And this is where we must not always walk with assumptions. 
When we build, trust that God will finish what he would, has started. And Sandra, if you want to just come up here and start playing. I love what First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20 says. And it says this. David was declaring this to Solomon, and this is a promise for all of us today. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? Some of us are in the middle of a building project right now that's really not complete. We've all been part of our home remodel projects, and that thing, that room, is staring at us in the face, and it's been incomplete for years. And we've had situations that maybe we've dealt with, and we say, it's not complete, Lord. When is this going to get completed? And we want to rush to judgment on things that we face. We want to rush to the end of it. And we want to say, God, hurry up and finish this thing. And I don't know how the timing works out for you. But I do know that God is not going to be finished with you until the project is complete. And you and I, as the temples of God, God is working in and through that. Today, right now, in this place... You say, you know what, I've kind of put an end to the building. Maybe I've been stumbled, first things first, with the what-ifs. And you've got a lot of ifs in your life. And those have taken over. You've got the building plans in one hand, and you've got the what-ifs in the other. And you're saying today, I'm going to put my ifs down, what-ifs. And you're getting back into the building plans for your life. Today, if that's you and God is clearing a way for you, clearing a path for you to jump in. And you say, I'm grabbing hold of those plans that God has declared for my life. And I'm letting go of these what-ifs. You know who you are, and it's very specific to you, and God is speaking to you today. I want you to raise your hand today without fear or discouragement and say, that's good me. I want to be free of the what-if. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What if? Pray today that you are infused with a mighty opportunity when you look at the glory of God and what He's calling you to do and what He's going to show you and the things that He's going to bring forth in your life. Those what ifs start to go into the back seat and eventually out the window. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want us to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me. For being so focused on the what-ifs of my life. What if it doesn't work out? What if things don't change? And God, I place my hands. I place my life back into your future for me. And the things that you're going to do in my life. And that you've done ahead of time. I trust you. I trust you more than the what-ifs. And I give those things up in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, that my life now is guided by faith and not by fear. Perfect love cast out fear. Thank you for loving me, God.
Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I just pray today over this whole house, all of our families and all of our situations, God, that you have called us the temples. And that, God, you live in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And, God, I pray that this week, as we grow, as we build, that we put our hands to purpose and we realize that the things that we're involved with are wonderful opportunities for your grace and glory to be shown. Help us all, Lord, not to be focused on failures, focused on future failures. We're actually anticipating failure. But God, today, may that change and may our rhythm be that of going from faith to faith and opportunities and new tomorrows that the shattered past get put together in a beautiful mosaic of what you're doing. And God, I thank you that you fix, that you restore, that you build in us. In Jesus' name, I pray that kind of blessing over everyone in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I love you very, very much. Don't forget this coming Saturday. This Saturday, we are going to be doing these. Bring your, bring your goodies. It's going to be really exciting. It's going to start at 3.30. And then after that, we're going to have the best Thanksgiving dinner ever. We're going to have roast beast. No, I'm just kidding. That's a Dr. Seuss thing. Yeah. So have, have a wonderful, wonderful week. And love you very much. And you can